0: Maine Boats Homes and Harbors magazine, covering Maine's boats, harbors, arts and architecture since 1987, bringing the coast as close as the mailbox on the web at mainboats.com. <laughs> of the year
1: is rapidly approaching and perhaps you haven't renewed your WERU membership yet. There's still time, and if you recently received a membership renewal letter, please take a moment to donate using the enclosed envelope. Your membership will help WERU provide its 24th year of great community radio. That's quite an achievement that was and is made possible by listener contributions. Thank you and happy holidays to everyone who supports WERU.
2: Boat Talk is made possible in part by the Red Fern Boat Company of Hancock County. Since 1982, offering maintenance, storage, and restoration for power boats and sailboats. Also offering dockage on Mount Desert Island. Redfernboat.com The time is 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Boat Talk with your host, sounds Break, and Mike Joyce is up next.
3: i the buyer that builds the
4: boat, and i, sales,
0: sir. I the buyer that sails her. i the buyer that catches the fish and takes them home to Liza.
1: Good morning, good morning. It's uh, 10 o'clock, second Tuesday of the month, time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill, 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor and around the world at WERU.org. Boat Talk is the call-in radio show for people contemplating things naval with your with your rusty anchors, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague, and Boat Talk is will be the number one place on the radio dial to go for dinghy information.
0: Dingy information. <laughs> yeah, we're a little bit dingy, all right. We'll work up from that. Alan, be the punny one. <laughs> and, um, uh, yeah, welcome to Boat Talk this morning. We can uh,
1: also talk about BoatTalk.org. Our, our website has been sort of spruced up lately and has, uh, has some uh, interesting updates from our friend Jeff Gold, who has been sending us photos once in a while of the uh, Charles W. Morgan that he is helping to rebuild down in Connecticut. And I'd like to also quickly tell you uh, one small thing. It's so small that it's actually shrimp. Our friends down at Penobscot East um, in Stonington um, have put out this notice for people who, uh, who like me, who like to uh, get fresh shrimp this time of the year and put some away for, the, uh, for as long as you can uh, keep it in your freezer. Um, you probably want to make a, a note of this because... The shrimp season this year is going to be quite short. It's not starting until January 2nd. which is about a a month late. And the shrimp quota has been half of last year. It's only 2,000 metric tons this year. So the way shrimp work is um, Maine, New Hampshire, and um, Maine, Massachusetts, and New Hampshire are uh, part of a uh, three-state area that the federal government regulates, and they start to decide when the season's going to start but the shrimp sort of come in at the south end first, so those folks down there get a little head start on their shrimp season. And with a low quota like this, the chances are that the quota will be met before the people, our fishermen down east, will have much of a chance to get shrimp. So there's very few that it seemed going to be rigging up this year. And if you would like to make a direct contact with any of these shrimp fishermen who are going to be going out, the best way to do it is to call Penobscot East down in Stonington. Their phone number is... 367-2708. That's 367-2708 for your shrimp connection. You can also go to their website, which is penobscoteast.org. And they may be calling in in a little bit to uh,
0: give us some details on that. Do you get your shrimp picked out or do you get it whole? Well, I get mine whole. I, I'm greedy at the whole price, but, man, I'm not a good, good shrimp picker, and it's, it's work. Well, you know what I do
1: is I just snap the tails off and then freeze freeze just the tails. And after they've been frozen, they
0: peel much more easily. Oh, I can't wait to freeze them. <laughs> I want to eat them. <laughs> we are doing Boat Talk this morning, uh, a radio show that contemplates things uh, like your naval issues, you know. And we have some guests in the studio this morning. i we'll like to say good morning to Pip Wick, is here this morning. Good morning. And Frank John. Good morning. Yeah, and they're in... Uh, well, we're going to talk about hybridizing Pip's sailboat. Lukeo is the name of it, isn't it? Lukeo. Yeah. Lukeo, yeah. And uh, we'll get to other things. I was also reading the bumper stickers out on Pip's. Uh got a hybrid car out in the out in the parking lot as well and there's a bumper sticker out there that says the beatings will continue until morale improves. <laughs> so we'll get into what kind of what kind of uh Things we do on the boat as well as the hybridization of a, of a cruise and sailboat this morning. As always, we got some uh, items of marine interest in the news here over the last month. I was gone last month. I was out to sea. Yep, we did. We were, we were making fun of you while you were gone. Yeah. Appreciate that. ain't hard to do. Uh, had a trip down from the Coast Guard Academy is in New London, Connecticut. And uh, the Morris Company has built a series of boats called the Leadership 44s. They're sail training kind of racing vessels. The Naval Academy has got some, and so does the Coast Guard Academy. And the first one was coming back to Bass Harbor to have uh, batteries and such moved around, some warranty work. And we uh, had a ripping 41-hour sailing trip from New London, Connecticut. That's pretty fast from New London, Connecticut, back to... uh, Bass Harbor, Maine, in the full moonlight, running mostly uh, uh, beside and downwind at speeds of eight and nine knots all the time, and ten and a half going down waves, and uh, it was just magical, I must say. Were you going right straight downwind? Not all the time. We had some good beam reaches. We also uh, had a few issues. We pulled into Point Judith, Rhode Island, and worked on the boat for a while, and then we uh, pulled up at the Cape Cod Canal and did some chores and uh, had a nap, waited for the tide, and then... We were getting here too fast, and we don't like to run in here in the dark. You can't see the lobster pots. And to my mind, that is taking chances that, um, and again, I've always been the fellow that goes overboard. Now, we had established early on I wasn't the kid on the boat, and I wasn't (laughs) going overboard, but we still don't want to hook one of those things up. So uh, in the full moonlight, we come by Matinkas Rock at about 11 o'clock at night, and and pretty much full moonlight. And... uh, you could see the things shining like diamonds it was beautiful and uh, the moon was just off the transom uh... and again you could see the the pots you're offshore there's not too many of them but the moon set before we got around the corner to frenchboro long island there off of mm. the end of mount desert and uh, you couldn't see them anymore somebody else come up and took the wheel i rode the bow for a couple hours into frenchboro and we went and pulled into frenchboro at about i don't know two three three o'clock in the morning or so and uh... Fought our way into the into a very, very dark harbor and tried to find a mooring, which we did, and uh, had a nap and went to Bass Harbor first thing in the morning. I got to tell you, though, we're uh, getting ready to unmoor the boat in Frenchboro in the morning, and at just a beautiful morning, we're waking up in a postcard. It is sweet, and uh, what a beautiful place out there. So... Here comes a fellow in a dinghy. He's rowing right for us. And my friend Jeff says, hey, looks like he's coming over to sailors. look like he's coming over here? And I say, yes, Jeff, he's bringing us croissants, you know. <laughs> and this fellow right. rows by us. And as he comes by, we're standing in the cockpit drinking tea and coffee. And he comes by, and, and uh, it's going to be, hey, how are you this morning? In fact, I think I even said that. He didn't even come close to looking at us. And he rowed studiously by us and got on a boat that was just off the uh, bow. Out, uh, further out the harbor a little bit, and started in his chores. And I got to go on more of the boat, so I'm going up to the bow. I'm kind of right next to him again, and I'm thinking I'll just nod at him. I'll catch, you know. No, that man is. I've never been so studiously ignored in my life. And we unmoored the boat and drove by him, and we're all standing in the cockpit, just ready to go, nod our heads. Morning. Mm. Never been so ignored in our. We didn't know if it was him or us or what. So. But it was the end of a long summer. It was early November in Frenchboro. Maybe they were tired of tourists. Don't know. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Well, I think we've all met some some friend of the fishermen, too, that will
0: balance that thing out. Oh, no doubt about it. But, uh, again, don't know why I told you that, but I did. (laughs) Can we start with the, uh, let's start with the marine news here. We've got a rest in peace. Corliss Holland. Corliss was the Red Baron. And anybody that knows anything about uh, lobster boat racing on the coast of Maine or any uh, real lobster boats, uh, you know, Red Baron is a pretty famous lobster boat. Mm-hmm. Uh, Corliss Holland was World War II Navy veteran. He was a lobster fisherman all his life. And um, I was around him a little bit, but I didn't really know him. And the way I, th- I believe it is, is his boys are hauling boat over in Belfast there. And they build fiberglass lobster boats. But uh, Corliss Holland, the Red Baron, passed away just about a month ago. And he was a classic and a big fixture in uh, the lobster boat world down east here. So rest in peace, Corliss Holland. Here's a story about a fisherman out of Massachusetts. This fella, he, uh, Carlos Rafael, he owns a series of boats and they fish out of New Bedford. One of them was out fishing for ground fish. They're dragging a net, trying to look for cod and, and uh, halibut and haddock or whatever, okay? And they come up with an 860-pound tuna. They were pretty excited. That 860-pound tuna, um, let's put it this way, a 750-pound tuna went for almost $400,000. Yeah, they're pretty happy. And they have a tuna permit. Yeah, they have struck gold. So they bring the tuna back into the dock. They're pretty proud. They're showing it off, and the federal government comes and takes it from them. Because they caught it with a net, not on a hook. That is the permit. Uh, And they had to give that tuna back. I don't know what happened to the tuna. I hope at least some cats ate it. But those (laughs) boys that caught it did not get to sell that. Could have been a half-million-dollar fish was taken from them because they caught it in a net, not in a hook, even though they have a tuna permit. Left them singing a sad tuna. Alan's the punny one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we should give the phone number too. So Thank you. Can, uh, I was just, yeah, call for some relief. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight is a number if you'd like to make any contribution to Boat Talk.
0: Here's something kind of interesting. It's uh, just engineering, but it's safety too. Uh, back a few years ago, there was a forty foot uh, tour boat capsized in in Lake George up in New York, and twenty six people drowned. Since then, the Coast Guard has been reevaluating passenger standards for ferry boats and tour boats. And it used to be that they assumed you weighed 160 pounds. Uh, That's kind of out of date nowadays. (laughs) Thank you. So airplanes assume you weigh 190 to 195 pounds. The Coast Guard now assumes that you weigh 185 pounds as a passenger. Now, a uh, boat has a carrying capacity, a tonnage, that it's uh, uh, liable to carry before uh, things get too deep. And uh, here's the story. The Casco Bay ferry boats need to lighten up, is the headline here. And what is happening is that the uh, Casco Bay ferries have been told that their passenger capacities are now diminished. Uh, One boat by 50 passengers and the other boat by 100 less passengers because of the weight requirements per passenger has gone up. In addition, the Casco Bay ferries now have to hire a naval architect and do stability studies that have to be reviewed by the Coast Guard. This will take a couple of years, apparently. And the owner of the boat says the review will prove that the old figures were just fine. Those are pretty good, robust, big boats. And uh, they don't come close to their capacity, especially in the wintertime anyway. But, again, we're refiguring how big boat passengers are. They must
1: have had capacity studies when they were first made.
0: Yes. And at 160 pounds they were deemed to be fine. Uh, At the new study, they're not only going to review the, the actual, um divide re-divide the number, they're going to redo the stability studies are as well. No, the these are car ferries too? No, these are pr- uh, passenger ferries okay. in uh, Casco Bay. Yeah, so that's kind of interesting. We're all getting bigger, and that's... <laughs> <laughs> We've discussed the advantages of being overweight for uh, uh, hypothermia situations. And apparently there's an advantage to overweight people in hypothermic situations, or, or it can happen. We've discussed in the past on Boat Talk. We can't advocate it, though. <laughs> 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 oh, what do you think about the phone number before I get to these uh, buoys and lakes, Alan? Well, yeah. Uh, we had uh, a
1: call, I believe it's going to be coming in from our friends at Penobscot East, but we can uh, talk yeah. about it let's go to the lake buoys right
0: well, uh, it's, And it's, uh, again, anybody can, uh, I've told Pip and John they can join the discussion at any time at one 625 9378 You can, too. The state is putting, uh, Department of uh, Conservation is putting buoys in lakes. And if you drive by Toddy Pond, just the other side of the radio station here, you can see a couple leading into the boat launch. So these buoys, are they marking rocks or are they marking channels? They're marking rocks and channels, just like real buoys do, Mm. which is interesting because I live on a lake and it horrifies me. It doesn't, nobody tells you where the rocks are. Well, a lot of lakes, there's a lot of people who put up little soda pop
1: bottle buoys to to mark the rocks that are, you'll see them when you come close and they got scrape marks
0: across the top of them. Yep. Um... I'm told that there used to be some in Graham Lake, and then somebody took them all out. Uh So uh, you can't can't trust those anyway. Here's the thing. The State Department of Conservation has put several thousand buoys in in, uh, a couple of uh, dozen lakes around the state of Maine. The most recent one was Green Lake, just up here uh, in Ellsworth and Dedham. And they have put in uh, several dozen buoys. They are 200 feet or more from shore and mark hazards. That are covered by at least four feet of water at uh, low water and the goal is safety now they also had a big public review they got with the homeowners the camp owners association of green lake and uh, it said green lake people said the state was very very responsive and they got them to remove some buoys from uh, green lake it says here this is the interesting part i think of the few complaints that were heard most concerned the change in scenery I don't want a buoy in my front lawn, uh, you know, out my window. And there have also been some concerns that boat traffic will increase in certain areas and expand to new areas of the lake now that the hazards are marked. I don't want those people in my front yard. They have never dared to come here. don't make it easier for them. (laughs) And, uh, you know, isn't it always the way? Yeah. Well, uh, we do have a phone
1: call, so let's go to that right now. Good morning. You're on Boat Talk.
2: Hi, this is Holly calling from Penobscot East Resource Center.
1: Good morning, Holly. Thanks for calling.
2: Sure, no problem. I wanted to call in and give some more information about the uh, shrimp season that we're coming into.
1: Yes, yes. I don't know if you were listening, but I gave a little brief summary of what's going to be happening this year. But go ahead and uh, explain the situation, and hopefully we can help some of the local shrimp fishermen with this.
2: Sure. Um, yeah, I actually had been listening, and you gave a great overview about what's going on. Um, here at Penobscot East, we've been following shrimp um, in depth, especially this year, but for the last four or five years, we've been participating in the fishery and working with our local fishermen and fishermen throughout the down-east area. Um, this year in particular, as you mentioned, one of the biggest things that's happening is the uh, reduction of the TAC from 4,000 metric tons to 2,000 metric tons. And as you had indicated, one of the biggest concerns for our fishermen in this area is that it's not just a main fishery, it's also a Massachusetts and a New Hampshire fishery. And as you indicated, the shrimp kind of come in from the western area, and then they move to the east. So the concern that we have had and continue to have is that our fishermen... You know, kind of in this area and then further to the east, um, they don't really start fishing until the end of January or the beginning of February. So if we're looking at a TAC of only 2,000 metric tons and the bigger boats, um, you know, towards the west in Massachusetts and New Hampshire and then, you know, kind of western Maine start fishing in the beginning of January, um, going to be kind of easy for them to go through that 2,000 metric tons when they're used to having up to 4,000 metric tons. So there's a lot to be paying attention to for this year and we really wanted to get the word out to especially all of the our local um, customers and, and people who are interested in making sure that shrimp stays local, that they're aware of what's going on this year and that they know how to be in touch with local shrimp fishermen here in our area to make sure that you know, you get the shrimp that you have come to enjoy and that our fishermen, you know, can continue to support that, um, you know, the main industry in keeping our shrimp as local as possible.
1: So um, as you also indicated in your uh, email that I was reading, there's a sort of a catch-22 going on too with the state recording um, landings of shrimp, but um, if if the fisherman sells directly to a consumer, then those reports aren't... Uh, logged in is that correct
2: that is um and it's it's as you said, and as we indicated in uh, both our uh, email and a facebook post that we've um, created, it is a catch twenty two you know um Penobscot East has always been supporter of keeping food local and um keeping um, our our customers in shrimp, especially, but then the concern is that if those if the shrimp that is sold uh, directly is not reported then We may be missing out on an opportunity to make sure that the state knows just how many shrimp are actually being caught here in the state so uh... there's unfortunately at this point we don't have an answer for how to proceed with that we just wanted to make sure that people were aware of the fact that that is a concern um... you know in in saying that we do have you know two or three fishermen in the greater area who are still willing to make sure that they can uh, work with our customers and, and other people in the area to make sure that they get shrimp, but it is a concern and it's something that we would have been remiss if we did not let people know about.
1: All right, very good. Um, so how would people who would like to be uh, connected with fishermen um, be able to do that?
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think you mentioned it at the beginning of um, the talk here, but they can definitely call our office. Um, it's the Penobscot East Resource Center in Stonington. Our phone number is 367 2708. You can ask to talk to me, that would be fine. And there's actually um, a couple of other people in the office that could give the information as well. So if I'm not available, um, Angie, who is our uh, administrative assistant, would be very uh, willing and happy to connect a caller with someone in the office who can help them out. They can also email me, and that might be an easier way for me to answer any particular questions and get back to them. My email is Holly, H O L L Y at penopscoteast.org and you know one of our primary concerns and efforts for this year is even if we're not um, planning to operate a CSF this year or you know there's um, going to be limited shrimp we want to make sure that people are aware of the issues and what's going on and what our fishermen are facing so please feel free to call us and we'll give you you know up to minute information about the shrimp season this year.
1: Okay, very good, Holly, and you have a very nice website, too, PenobscotEast.org. Great. So unless there's anything else that you think uh, you'd like to add, we'll uh, just... Uh,
2: I think you've covered everything, but please, you know, if you have any other questions, have people call us, or you're welcome to call us, and hopefully we can get uh, to the next year and the and uh, the shrimp season will be maybe a little bit brighter.
1: Okay, I hope so, too. Thank you very much, Holly. Right,
2: thank you so much.
1: Okay, bye. bye.
0: Boat Talk. Boat Talk. We yeah. talk about a lot of different stuff. And uh, we are doing it this morning. Happens every second Tuesday of the month. And uh, also at BoatTalk.org and at org. I've noticed there's a lot of old programs that are available for repodcasts there in the uh, in the, in the locker at <laughs> WERU.org, I guess. Yep. <laughs> so we have Pip Wick and Frank John in here this morning. And Pip... Uh, designed and built, uh, uh, had designed and built a uh, boat at the Brooklyn Boatyard. Helped build it, and has just changed the power in it from a straight diesel rig that drives a propeller to a hybridized version. And we'll get to that in a minute. But we have to start by asking uh, asking you, Pip, this morning, the classic boat talk question: What happened to you as a young kid that messed you up so hard about boats? I. It was so early in my life, I
4: don't remember.
3: Hmm. I, born into, I, it, born we're saying. Born oh, into a poor family. Oh, never had a chance. Family.
4: Poor man. I never had a chance to <laughs> get out. <laughs> yeah, A birth defect.
0: <laughs> tell, us, tell us about your parents then, Pip. What well, was wrong they, with them?
4: Uh, they were both dedicated cruisers, and uh, they, uh, at one point my father had a <clears throat> broken back from World War II, and he decided that he wanted to live somewhere where the climate was a little better, And this is back in the 1950s, and we moved out to the Bahamas and lived aboard a uh, hand motor sailor out there. And I think that was probably pretty close to the pinnacle of my life as far as just having a great time and doing everything you wanted to do.
0: Good Uh, Lord, who'd want to grow up from that? (laughs)
4: <laughs> you can't help it, can you? And
0: that is an issue that was uh, just talking with a uh, uh a lady captain who's gonna be on next week and we've all we've all uh, decided we never want to grow up and join the real world. We'd <laughs> still want to be those kids on the boat. So it'll be next month. Yeah, uh Captain Kelly Clicker yeah. next month. But anyway, uh uh wow, Pip, that's just uh that's a fairy tale.
4: It was, it was. It was a great life.
1: Yeah. And t- tell me, they had a little sailing dinghy and you
4: taught yourself how to sail? Oh, I knew how to sail before, long before that. <laughs> uh, I, I guess I, as I said, I, I don't remember where I started sailing. I was so young that
0: it was before my consciousness. It was like memory. walking. Huh? Yeah, Frank, what uh, you, you're a boat person too? What happened to you when you were a kid? Uh, I married into the family, so <laughs> I say. My only experience with the sailboat as a kid was uh, we had to tack because
5: of an oncoming powerboat, and we flipped over, and I got caught underneath, and but I did make it out. I'm glad to okay, say. So yeah. I was scared off for a
0: while, but another formative a, experience. Yeah. yeah, I've had a chance to enjoy it since. So yeah, and both of those really are typical stories in a way. Uh, you know, it can go that way. It can be a fairy tale, or it can be a uh, challenging place that you don't want to go back to. Right. Um. Yeah. But Pip, so lucky to grow up in that fairy tale. Now, you uh, apparently grew up somewhat successfully, and you um had a boat built over to the uh, Brooklyn Boatyard. Uh tell us about Lukeo.
4: Well Lukeo was designed by Roger Marshall down in Jamestown, Rhode Island. And uh we came up here as they were just finishing putting the molds together and I worked with the crew at Brooklyn Boatyard, which was then about fourteen or fifteen strong. And uh we put it together in nine months. I started in November and we launched her in June.
0: When was this? How long ago?
4: 1992-93. Yeah. And uh, it's been I, I worked on her some but deferred to the boatyard help and I must say that during the conversion to hybrid the boatyard was a tremendous help doing things that they were above and beyond the call of what they needed to do. They felt that we had been badly treated and that they were helping, trying to make it up to us.
0: The Brookham Boyard, obviously, very, very capable bunch. We'll get to your uh, nightmare with your hybrid uh, power in, in, in a minute. But the uh, original idea behind the boat was you wanted to cruise. You grew up on a cruising, and a cruising family on a cruising boat, and you wanted a cruising boat and going places.
4: Basically, yeah, uh, we were uh, we were thinking about going to the Azores, and decided that with an engine that was at that time fourteen years old that maybe it would be better to put a new power plant in and in investigating various kinds of power plants the hybrids were just coming out and we thought that would be kind of interesting having additional fuel mileage would be very helpful we only carry so much fuel and sometimes it's nice to have a few extra gallons so that's the route we took and you cruised the boat to Boatsmen of the Caribbean I suppose uh, the boat's
0: been from Venezuela to Newfoundland We'll get to the Newfoundland part, too. That's one of my favorite parts. Pip likes to go north, which I kind of admire.
1: 1-866-625-9378 if you happen to have any questions about hybridization.
0: So we have a, uh, what is, she, is about fifty about uh, 52 feet or so? 48. 48 feet, yeah. Uh, we have a 48-foot cruising boat. It is uh, just a traditional setup. You have a big old uh, diesel engine that lives under the companionway or under the under the floor uh somewhere there uh, under the galley yeah under the galley and uh it drives a shaft which drives a propeller which drives the boat and it's a beast and it also uh is in charge of the electrical load for for what's called the house the actual uh, the lights the uh, uh stereo the navigation instruments and stuff all run off of a a battery of banks and that charge is provided by an alternator run off the diesel engine.
4: That too. Although uh, we had a 5-kilowatt auxiliary generator uh, also at Westerbeek, which uh, we used for static charging.
0: Yeah, because a good cruising boat uh, needs a lot of electricity, uh, even a sailboat, let alone the power boats, which are are really small municipalities when you get right down to it and have, have some uh, really bodacious power loads and never go anywhere without running their generators. So, uh, But... Uh anyway, the point I'm I'm getting at is you had a regular old diesel driving your boat and we're we're uh, it's getting old and as you say issues about range, the uh the age of the diesel and also uh, just the livability of the thing. You're looking at hybridizing the drive of the boat. Now, what do we do? Take a Prius engine and drop it in there? How what are we talking about? How is that going to work?
4: Well, it's it's a uh <clears throat> the electric motor is a 9 kilowatt It just sits on top of the sail drive. We we put a sail drive in when we took the old engine out, and it just sits there. It's uh, powered solely by the batteries, which is a bank of batteries dedicated to it. It's 144 volts, 12 batteries. And then just forward of that is an 18-kilowatt Fisher Panda generator, which uh, charges the batteries, and then it will shut off. And the batteries will run the motor until the detection system says, it's time to run the generator again. The generator will start up and charge the batteries again. The generator burned about the same amount of fuel as the engine that we took out, gallon and a half an hour. But it doesn't run all the time. So depending on how fast we go, that's how fast we drain the batteries, and that's how often the generators You generator have some
1: connect. solar panels, some other input too, right?
4: Uh, we're coming to the solar panels. Mm-hmm. We haven't put them in yet. We kind of rushed the installation and took her off to Newfoundland oh. to shake her down.
1: Now, for people who are uh, trying to visualize this, why don't you describe the size of your electric motor compared to the uh, old diesel? Um,
4: it's about the same size. Uh-huh. with the generator and every oh the electric motor is tiny yeah it's uh, you can put your arms around it yeah it's bread box size yeah well
0: can we back up for just a minute you took out the regular old shaft that was in that was coupled to the old engine yeah it was a straight shaft and now put in what's called the sail drive unit kind of looks like the the lower housing on a on a powerboat for instance it sticks down on an inboard powerboat yeah or an outboard and it goes so right outboard. down through the bottom of the and it's a propeller sticking down through the bottom yep. of the of, and your two electric motors drive that together or independently. Well, there's only one
4: electric motor. Uh, it, it's it's run by two small motors on a single shaft. So yeah, uh, they're they're two four
0: and a half kilowatt ah. motors. Yep, uh, Frank just showing me a picture there. Yeah. Um, and again, your uh, uh, generator charges the battery bank, and uh, the generator can run at the most efficient. Um, speed and yeah, parameters all the time. Instead of the diesel, sometimes will be running wide open. Sometimes uh, you'll just be idling it trying to charge the batteries. That's not that's not efficient burn for the fuel and it's not good for the engine.
4: No, that's part of the reason for the fuel economy. Even though the same energy is going in, uh, the generator is running at a high efficiency speed. Whereas a diesel engine, almost any cruising boat will never run its diesel engine full out. Because they're They're meant for emergency power, and if Mm -hmm. you run it full out, you're just burning up fuel and making a big hole in the water.
0: I'm a delivery sailor. I do a lot of boat deliveries, and people have a romantic notion about us sailing around the seas there, and it's just not how people imagine it. I would say in my delivery career, the engine's been running probably 90% of the time I've been at sea.
4: Yeah, 90% is a little high for us. Yeah, uh, we'll but we're it. going
0: places yeah. on uh, We're being paid by the day, so if we're not going <laughs> six knots, the engines on. Okay,
4: we'll we'll run about fifty, sixty percent of the time. Yeah,
0: train. that engine's noisy. This one isn't. It's no. a that I'm saying. What? But the diesel engine in a regular sailboat is kind of a stress. It's noisy. Oh yeah. It's very noisy. It also has to be mounted very firmly to the hull, and on a. Uh, Fiberglass sailboat, for instance, metal ones too, and uh, it's one I think the the great things about a wooden sailboat is wooden boats, they they absorb vibration, I think, it's one of the great things about them. But you have a large diesel engine, you have it bolted firmly to the hull of the boat, and now you're setting up a big vibration that you're living inside of a drum. Precisely. Yeah, and by taking the uh, a generator does not have to be Firmly affixed to the hull. It lives on a box that is on rubber mounts, I'm guessing.
4: It is, yes.
0: And just running the generator is not as noisy
4: oh, and no, as vibrational
0: did. as running the old diesel engines. Is that, is that correct?
4: It, not only that, but when it shuts off. If, if it's running and you know it uh, you, and you go on deck, you can hear the generator, sort of.
0: You, cock, you cocked your head a yeah, little bit. You're listening hard. you kind of Oh, going, that's beautiful.
4: What's that noise down? Oh, that's that must nice. be the generator yeah. running. And if, of course, if it shuts off, you almost <laughs> hear nothing because the electric motor makes very little noise. Propeller makes as much noise as the electric motor does.
1: I've seen those Fisher Panther units. They're very nice. They do come in their own sound insulation box, and when they're all snapped closed, you're right; oh, yeah. they're
0: they're quite quiet. You've described being in harbor, running under battery power, as operating under stealth mode, and <laughs> and they have that problem with with uh, hybrid cars. They're too quiet sometimes.
4: Well, yes, and. Uh, but it, it, it's nice because you can talk to your crew while you're coming into a dock and somebody's standing on the bow. You don't have to scream at them. All you have to do is say, I think we'll land portside, too, this
0: time. We are uh, th- we have to throttle down all the time because the captain has to talk on the cell phone as well. You can't hear things with that engine running, you know. And, uh, yeah, it's a factor. And, and, again, it tires people out as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um boy that's pretty interesting there are other efficiencies as well the uh your direct current dc electric motors they have a better torque than the diesel at low low power as well
4: tremendous torque uh at at almost no throttle you're getting full torque out of the thing and uh, it and, and it happens right away if you start a diesel you got to let it warm up just a little bit you start an electric motor as soon as you push it, it's gone. You're you're underway. And uh, we other one of the other things we did was to put a uh, bow thruster in. And the things you can do with a bow thruster and that much torque on the propeller are earth-shattering. It's really amazing.
0: You can parallel park in some of those strange, strange situations that you get in corners of of marinas uh, or
4: Newfoundland.
0: Mm. Newfoundland, yes, mm. we're, we'll get to Newfoundland in a minute. So, uh, Frank, you had uh, well, let's, let's back up to. Um, I'm sorry, we haven't told the the best worst part of this story. You originally started this project about uh, 2006. Yeah, uh, you're kind of pioneer in the field. Would that be safe to say? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So you hired some experts.
4: Yes, we did.
0: <laughs> How'd that work? <laughs> out? Experts like you and me. Yeah,
4: they they weren't as expert as we thought they were, and uh, for about four or five years, we we played with them trying to get their system to work, and it did not. Uh, they they installed two nine kilowatt generators, two two twelve kilowatt generators. Was what was it? I'm not sure. I think they were twelves. Yeah, they could have been. Anyway, uh, and the idea was to share the load. You could shut one down and and. Run at and they ran at two hundred and forty volts.
0: It's like having a split rig on your schooner. You can use any combination of sails you want. It's beautiful. That's what we thought. Yeah, yeah.
4: but uh, very slowly the things just started disintegrating, and then uh, the boatyard found another fellow, uh, Dave Tether, for emotion hybrids, and he came up and he said that system won't work well. I'll I'll sell you a system with off the shelf. Uh, components, so anything can be replaced at any time. I don't own any of y- any of it, and I'll put it together for you. And Frank, of course, helped with that. And that was the system where the generator charges the batteries, and, and runs the
0: electric motor. The first system didn't include a, no a bat- battery bank. No battery. That seems kind of strange. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and those first people, you had, you become disillusioned with them, and and. Uh, that's gonna be quite a process of deciding when to abandon ship on something that's also very expensive. Well, very
4: expensive was the thing, but uh <clears throat> they it was obviously not working. Yeah. So we went ahead and, and reinstalled. And when
0: when system. do you try to improve it, put a band-aid on it, or again, throw it every, overboard every and Band-Aid call it an anchor, up.
4: you know? Every band aid burned up.
0: Wow. And that cost you a couple of years of cruising.
4: Yes. We didn't really get her put together until this last spring,
0: mm. Mm. and in those years where you didn't get down to the Caribbean, you uh, uh, you took a drive at least one one time down to Newfoundland. You started looking in a different direction. Kind of, you've turned your head around. Is that fair to say as well?
4: Well, actually, we would started cruising Newfoundland before we changed the boat over. Yeah, and we'd already cruised twice up there. Uh, about three years ago, we decided that. Regardless of the fact that the engine was weak and we weren't going very well, my wife said, What's the worst thing that can happen? And I said, Well, we could find ourselves on a lee shore with the tide carrying us into the rocks. And when it comes time to turn around, the engine won't do the job. So she said, Let's try it anyway.
0: <laughs> We're a sailboat. we a sport. Yeah,
4: we're a sailboat. Weatherly
0: sailboat. We so we,
4: we got up to Cape Sable off the southwestern corner of Nova Scotia, and the tide was sweeping into the Bay of Fundy, and the breeze was slowly dying. Actually, it was still a pretty good breeze, but we weren't going to be able to make it around the point, so we put the engine on, and very little happened. So we tacked over and came home. Then we mm-hmm. went and toured. Nova Scotia or Newfoundland. By now, we have the to say
0: you were in one of the most uh, tide-influence areas on Earth when that happened to you. Pretty you close. were you were in a uh, extreme position, really, in the mouth of the Bay of Fundy there, as opposed to uh, you know just being off the harbor, for instance,
4: or off a rock in Newfoundland. With but somewhere. that's what mm. you
0: have to. <laughs> that's what that's the standard right there, though. Yeah. It has to be able to do anything you need to be able to do. So mm-hmm. no, that's not acceptable. That's interesting. Um, we are ta- We're doing boat talk this morning. Uh, we haven't mentioned that in a little while. Alan Sprague, Mike Joyce. We have Pip Wick in here, uh, and we're talking about hybridizing his his uh, cruising sailboat. We have his uh, son-in-law, isn't it, Frank? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Frank John, his son-in-law, has done a lot of the engineering on it here, too. Uh, we got a phone number if you want to join the discussion, one eight six six 625 We'll talk about it by brave enough to call us up. doesn't necessarily have to be about hybridization. We,
1: like, like I said, we can give you any sort of dingy information.
0: Um, I think that uh, cruising done well is kind of a cultural experience. And cruising done, done poorly, uh, people go down in their boats and, and they may not really, the boat's a self-contained world, but if you're doing it right, you get out there and you mix with people. Um have you noticed any cultural differences between the Caribbean and Newfoundland, Pip? Oh quite a lot, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to be a um uh, I tried to immigrate to Nova Scotia, they wouldn't have me, so i have been down to Newfoundland and I lo- you know, I'm a big fan. Oh, I love the people up there. Yeah.
4: And and this last summer was a glorious cruise. We had a, a bunch of cruising sailors that really were cruising sailors with us and so we—that was a lot of camaraderie there, and the local people in Newfoundland were friendly and outgoing, and everything. It was probably the nicest cruise I was ever
0: on. That's probably saying something, given your yeah. fairy tale growing up. And uh, and the weather was terrible. Newfoundland. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> we do have a phone call, so let's go to that. Good morning, welcome to Boat Talk hello hello you're on boat talk
3: yeah i have a couple questions for pip uh first being uh what what his battery capacity is in, uh, in terms of its ability to store charge and the other question is the electric motor the 9kw electric motor that drives his boat if my math is correct that's only about 12 horsepower and i understand the Torque characteristics of electric motors, but I'm wondering for that size boat, a 12-horsepower diesel engine would be considered underpowered. And I'm wondering if there's some difference that allows uh, that sort of power to, say, drive a boat into serious headwinds or the like.
0: You've made the perfect point. Who are we talking to this morning?
3: Uh, My name is Paul.
0: Paul. uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, good point, Paul
4: uh yeah i the, those exact numbers worried me at the outset too, and obviously nine kilowatts isn't going to compare to seventy four horsepower diesel but uh the the torque is extremely high on an electric motor and it it, it comes on right away uh we car- we have twelve hundred amp uh twelve volt batteries that drive the system uh
5: yeah, the the nominal capacity is about 12 kilowatt hours.
0: That's at the 20-hour rate. All right. But, Pip, you have described that that boat will not power to windward as, as hard as the old diesel engine would.
4: Uh, it's pretty close. And uh, usually what you do is bear off a little bit and break some jib out or something like that, and uh, you can motor sail very efficiently at... Uh, uh, a pretty good angle and still a pretty good speed uh powering straight to windward has never been one of my favorite things to do
3: yeah I, yeah i I understand
0: as a delivery sailor I spend a lot of time doing it exactly so I understand that's why I said you asked such a good question paul
3: how would did, does he have a uh, an estimate of of what sort of efficiency gains he's he's searing seeing here with this system is it 50% more efficient or, or anything like that?
4: It depends on the speed. Yeah. Um, at our cruising speed of 6 knots, it's about 50% more efficient. Yeah. If you drop down to 5 knots, it becomes mm, probably 80% or 90% more efficient. If you drop down to 4 knots, which is a good motor sailing speed, all of a sudden, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the numbers, at, at six knots we get about six miles per gallon at five knots about eight and at four knots about 13 miles per gallon which is considerably better than the four miles per gallon we were getting off the old westerbeek
0: it means that with a given amount of of fuel on the vessel your tank capacity now you can go a lot further you've increased your range dramatically you can go a 100 percent further if you want you
4: can go at 13 miles per gallon, we can go tremendous amounts. And
0: as a cruising boat, that's pretty big.
3: It's
4: a big
0: help. Yeah, no jerry cans lashed to the rail.
3: <laughs> no. I have one more question. Uh, hybrid uh, automobiles have a recovery uh, system built into the braking system. And is there any possibility that you could use this drive unit to charge your batteries in, oh, yeah. in a somewhat similar way? Is that a possibility?
4: It is. Um, We played with it, and uh, for one thing, you have to have a solid propeller, Uh, and uh, at the speeds we normally sail at, the solid propeller doesn't turn at a very high rate, so the recharge rate isn't very good. Uh, Some of these catamarans that use this system, it's it's a great system for a catamaran, because you can have one generator and two electric motors, one in either hull. And you've saved a lot of weight and uh maneuverability is better and just any number of reasons, but uh we never found the recharging to be uh, a big factor. I think if we put some solar panels on the Bimney top or and some on the deck house, we might even do as well or better.
0: We, we like, like to uh clear things up for non boaty people sometimes on boat talk a solid propeller is your picture of a real propeller on a big old navy ship or something it has got three or four blades and it's a big solid thing and it's always that shape nowadays uh... what you see uh... quite a bit is the the way to go for people that that uh, can do it is folding propellers maxi props and the angle of the blade changes uh, if they're going forward and backwards they fold up and streamline when you're under sail for instance and that is the propeller which will not recharge the system. Yeah, the it won't turn yeah. if the boat's going forward. Yeah. And, again, it has some efficiencies that are inherent with it, too, so that's why people do them. Paul, you've asked some great questions this morning. i got to compliment you right on.
3: Well, thanks. It's a, it's a, it's it's an interesting system. I have to confess that I'm a, a big proponent of what I call the KISS uh, system in sailing, which is keep it simple, stupid.
0: And, uh...
3: I'm very curious about this because I'm 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 not sure how this aligns with my own personal philosophies but it sounds like a uh, uh, a great scheme
0: you know what I I'm sorry, you know what I do to every small sailboat I come along. Paul I add oars to it. keep it simple okay
3: and Yeah, I, I suspect you and I think along similar lines. I had
0: a delivery buddy for years. He carved a, after we had a took him on his first delivery after that he carved a tiny little cedar paddle. It was a uh, palm size and he used to tape it on the nav station so we'd never be up the creek without a paddle. Keep it simple. Well, Paul, for
1: your for your information, um, Pip has written an article which probably has some details in there that you might might like to check out too. So, uh, let Pip give you a, a, a link to that website? Or well, uh, the uh, uh,
4: as far as the website is concerned, it, the article appeared in uh, Blue Water Sailing in November. All right. And uh, you might be able to get it from them, or if you want, uh, just send me an email. Uh, I'm at Lucao, L U C A Y O, at gmail.com.
3: Excellent.
4: And I'll be glad to discuss this to you in more depth if you like. Well, thank you very much.
0: No, oh, thank you, Paul. One thing's cool about Botox. We've got a. I love it when people say, I don't know nothing about boats, but I like boat talk. But we got a very extremely knowledgeable audience as well. And Paul hit on on uh, some of the great points that we hadn't quite got to yet and uh, just about perfect. Well, again. I don't know if it got to it would work for me. I what kind of over my head. <laughs> 1-866-625-9378. We have uh, Pip and John in here this morning. We're talking about Pip's boat, Lukeo, and, and the uh, hybrid system in it. You've got another hybridized system, Pip. You've uh, tell us about your toilets.
4: Oh, those those aren't hybrid. Those are. let's well, go back.
0: Yes, <laughs> this we've we uh, going back
4: to the outhouse. We're you keeping it bucket. simple
0: once <laughs> once again simplified. And again, uh, as we were joking on the phone last night, there's never been a really successful marine toilet designed yet, and there's a lot of different tries, and there's never been one that's that's perfect yet. What have you done with your toilets? Well, it,
4: they just seem to work. They're they're composting heads, and they divide the the soil into two categories. If you're going to do number one, it goes into a, a container, a bucket, basically. And if you're going to do number two, you open the trap door, and down she goes. And you put peat moss in there with a little accelerant, and uh, it doesn't smell.
0: It's its own holding tank
4: basically, but it's not very big.
0: Yes, and nowadays, a cruising boat has to have a sewage holding tank. It has to be of a fair size. They stink.
4: Yes, they They do. do. I've had that experience.
0: Every sewage tank on a boat, you can smell it. You open the hatch in a boat, in a fiberglass boat, uh, the first thing you smell is the old fiberglass, and the second thing you go is, and nobody ever says anything, but you can always smell the sewer tank in a boat. And uh, a wood boat makes a nicer smell, but still, um, it doesn't stink. That's got to be huge. Well, we uh, like to stay uh, at the bottom of this subject, but we do have a phone <laughs> call.
1: <laughs> Let's go to that. Good morning. Welcome to Boat Talk.
5: Yeah, is Steve calling from Southwest Harbor. Hey, Steve. Morning, Steve. How are you doing this morning? Good. How are you? Good. Uh, regarding um, uh, hybrid diesel electric systems on boats, um, I'd strongly recommend that people read articles by Nigel Calder in The Pressure Boat Builder. He's been doing a fair amount of research on this installing a system on his own boat and testing it against the numbers he had from his original diesel system. Very interesting results um, well worth reviewing. I can't tell you the issues but it's been the last few ones. I know that for sure. Um, The other situation is that as a naval architect I can and I have direct experience with this on a boat where a hybrid system was put in, um, if you want to go a particular speed, you're going to need the horsepower to do it. Um, if you're willing to have a lower speed, um, you can use a lot less power, and, and a hybrid system will give you that with a lot less difficulty. That's just my comments, and if you've got any more questions, feel free. Otherwise, I'll carry on.
0: Oh, that's great, Steve, for pointing out Nigel Calder. Nigel, uh, of course, is a uh, well-known author and expert, let alone just a great engineer. And he has the boat. uh, uh, What's the book there, the um, sailboat uh, part, the the boat mechanical book that Nigel Calder has? You got the title in your head right away, Steve? Oh, Boat Owner's Guide to Mechanical Systems, I think. Yes, absolute classic. And uh, anything that can be mechanical on a boat is in that book. Highly, highly recommended. So I think the only book I've ever paid $55 for. (laughs) uh, More than worth it. Um, and again, Nigel writes for a professional boat builder magazine. They're affiliated with Wooden Boat Magazine, and I think if you Google "professional boat builder," you might be able to find that stuff.
5: Yeah, you should be able to find the articles. You should be able to get them online from past issues, I believe. I know I've done it with others in the past. So, yeah, good, good, good research. Very careful analyses. Um, he's not. He was. He wanted to prove a point, and he found himself surprised by the results. So, I, I enjoyed the articles.
4: Uh, Nigel looked at Lucao when we were first doing the conversion, or when we were coming to the last part of the conversion. Uh, he's also a proponent of a system where they have a diesel engine hooked to a generator hooked to a shaft.
5: Like the stair motor? Like, unit. The, like the stair, yep. yeah.
4: Yeah. And, uh, I'm not quite sure how, how the efficiencies work with that. They didn't work for us with the Glacier Bay system, but, uh... <laughs> I, I hope that this one will. I, I hope it's better engineered.
5: Yeah, the, the Glacier Bay system I'm directly familiar with—a system installed a couple of years back on a cat up here in Maine—and they made great promises, but their initial analysis said they need about 25 percent of the horsepower that the boat required with the mm. twin Volvo diesels. And I was asked about that, and I said, "Well, you know, you, you don't. You, you, a boat has a certain amount of resistance, and it takes a certain amount of power to push it past that." And if you have 25% less, then you're going to go 25% less for speed, and that was the end result. The system was torn out, sent back, and the boat's got twin volvos now.
0: D- uh, Glacier Bay, who was the uh, contractor uh, business we were talking about, did the original design for PIP's boat here. Don't they do refrigeration? Isn't that their business?
5: I'm not sure if that's a... It's
4: uh, the same company.
0: Yeah. yeah.
5: They, they really pushed this power light system... And they, they've got good ideas, but the what they were promising wasn't what they could achieve, and their stuff was not ready for prime time uh, when I dealt with it, uh, I don't know, about three years ago.
0: Nor when I dealt with it. Um, well, and I guess the point would be, looks easy, sounds easy, ain't easy. Yeah. Yeah, and we're doing it in a marine environment, which is never easy.
5: Yeah, it was, uh, you know, we, we were... And start working on the system with a boat first in the water and it's snowing we got the hatches open <laughs> all this electronic gear is exposed to the weather i'm looking at it going this this is not anything i'd want to put on a boat um i'm sorry that stuff's got to be protected you sure don't want to be twiddling with things with a hatch open on deck in any sort of a sea so
0: mm-hmm. um steve hang hang for a minute here that's one more thing we have to mention um We've now added a great deal of electric current running around this boat. That's you got safety issues too, don't you?
4: Oh yes, indeed.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
5: Especially the fact that it's a if you're running DC systems. I mean that's, there's a lot of amperage there. Uh, oh yeah. It's uh but again, you know, power is power, and as long as you run it correctly, you're you should be in pretty good shape. I mean, everybody who uses hydraulic systems, thinks nothing of them. Uh, you can do a whole lot of damage with a, hydraulic, a blown hydraulic hose in a few seconds before it loses pressure. Um, so electricity's risky, but so's, so is a lot
4: of other systems out there. Gasoline's not so good either. Oh, yeah.
5: <laughs> yeah, the, the total amount of energy stored in these batteries is a little less, the equivalent of a little less than half a gallon of diesel.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and wow.
5: All, and only about half of that is used. So we, about a
0: quarter, wow. all, everything Pip's talking about is with the, the equivalent energy of a quarter of a gallon of diesel. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, that's a very interesting comparison. And again, you would be stunned of the amount of work that uh, you can get out of a gallon of gasoline if you could look at it uh in the horsepower that you personally can perform. Right. Um, uh-huh. let alone a gallon of diesel or, or the wattage of the sun. Uh you know, uh we are doing boat talk this morning. Thanks Steve. Uh, regular subject uh uh yep. Take care, hey, you, we'll Steve. Yep. Regular suspect, I would say. Uh, we love it when Steve calls from down southwest. We're running uh, towards the end of Boat talk. they are going to start playing the music in about a minute here. And as I said, Pip, uh, very unlikely we'd run out of things to talk about in 45 minutes. So uh, uh, very much enjoyed that this morning. Now, you have got a system now that works after you've, you've been doing this, what, it's five, six years now? Six
4: years, yeah. Yeah,
0: and you finally got something that you're happy with?
4: Oh, yeah, very much so.
0: Where are we headed next?
4: Well, we uh we're probably going to bring the boat back. We left her in Nova Scotia. And so we'll bring her back next summer. And we have some other things planned for that summer. And then I don't know where we're going to go from there. It, my wife wants to go to uh, Labrador. Yeah.
0: Oh, good Lord, you're making me even more jealous. Uh, that's <laughs> the only place I'd like to go further than Newfoundland <laughs> that way. is is uh, Oh, wonderful. Now, the navigation's a little tricky down there. It's not as uh, well covered. There's not the cruising guides. There's not... A lot of other boats running around there. Um,
4: there are some cruising guides, and uh, uh, you're right. The charts aren't very good.
0: Not quite as many marinas, let's put it that way.
4: I guess you could say about 1%. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, But, I mean, I was brought up doing it that way, so that's not that new.
0: And with the GPS, let's face it, it is much more, as we like to say, idiot-resistant. No, resistant, yes. Yes, resistant. They're always making better idiots. <laughs> That's what I learned at a, at a uh, boatyard in Nova Scotia anyway one long time ago. Uh, really enjoyed you having you here this morning, and uh, we are running out of boat talk. Uh, we hope to uh, talk to Captain Kelly Clicker next next month. She's a, uh, a charter. She's a, 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 a professional captain. captain. Yes, yeah, she's a yacht captain, career mostly in the Caribbean. Uh, month after that, we hope to talk this this February to the fella who years ago spent a night on a bell buoy uh, out in the bay here. It was in February. A winter night, yes. Yeah, he was out clamming. He got in a he got in a bad pickle, and he survived that. We'd like to talk to Bob Curtis back in February, and you can always go to w e r u and. See what else is happening. Well, let's give Pip's uh, email address for people who might want more information one more time.
4: It's the boat's name, Lucao, L U C A Y O, at gmail.com.
1: Thank you very much, Pip and Frank. It's been very interesting.
0: By the sails, her, Ice by the kitchen fish, and take some home to liza.